This week's guest podcast comes from the guys at iWrite Radio. Stuart Lockhead has interviewed Peter Curran, better known, I think, as at Murray Dura on Twitter. And their conversation touches on some very interesting areas, as you'll see in a minute. Just as a wee reminder, you can hear iWrite Radio's roundup of the day's news every day except Saturday at 11 o'clock at night on Indie Live Radio. And they also have their own podcast and their own videocast, which you can get on their YouTube channel. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Stuart. This morning, I'm speaking to Peter Curran, also known as Moradura. I know you, Peter, as a musician and a writer. Let's have a word or two about this article you've written, in, um, and it's in uh, Bella Caledonia. Oh, I've written an earlier, excellent earlier article on the, the whole thing, uh, EUOP, etc. The sort of in the movement, which George Caravan describes as a split between the, the working class movement and uh, what he sees as an SNP steadily to the right. Peter, we've got got as far as Friday. Now, the AUOB assembly was last Saturday. I sat through about an hour and three quarters from the start of the stage thing. So I saw the the four main speakers from the stage that were introduced, including George and uh, Robin McAlpine, who was always as passionate as ever. My God, he's good to watch. And, and I watched Leslie Riddick interview Ian Blackford, and I was speechless with that one. I know what that was a forensic piece of merciless dis- disassembly of evasion and avoidance and blindness. Oh, yes, distraction, prevarication. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think that, I won't do that, I've said it as publicly as I can, I don't think that is the man. Ian Blackford, I think it's the position he's being forced into by being a sexual for his Nicholas presence on earth. Very <laughs> mm, right, well. Well, look, um, let's go through your article because then, we, we were, then we're a bit focused. I've yeah. got here uh, Peter Curran. Is Scottish devolution under union attack or is it just a Boris aberration? Well, you answer yeah. that by uh, Ian Blackford's at PMQs. And so. Basically, you've answered your own question. You said that basically it's an aberration then. No, actually, I haven't. A number of people, I, I have made myself clear there. Actually, my answer is yes to both questions. It was a Boris aberration, but it is also a, an attack on Scottish devolution. The aberration was Boris letting the mask slip. I like some of the, the you summed up some nice pieces here. You, you, One paragraph, which is all about just how it, Parliament came about. You mentioned the DeHaan system, and uh, you quote George Robertson: "Devolution will kill nationalism, stone dead." But then, and you also mentioned Michael Forsyth, who's never given up attacking it. Um, I particularly like the point you make here. There simply would have been no way the 2014 referendum could have been run without the Scottish Parliament. Now, bearing in mind what we've got coming up in May. So let's assume the SNP get their majority. Are we actually going to have a referendum in 2021? Well, I think this is the, the, the huge question. I mean, everybody's looking understandably, confidently at the polls, at the popularity ratings for Nicola, at the voting intentions, and they're all saying, oh, it's wonderful. It's all 
There's an awful lot of people, yes, supporters, who uh, that who that's their perspective at the moment, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, how would you divide the supporters at the moment? I would say they are the, the Nicola fans. I can only describe it as fandom because, and I've been guilty of it myself in the past. We were so desperate for a leader after the loss in 2014 and the loss of the Bravura Alex Hammond style, that I think anything that had been presented to us would have immediately been canonised, to use my own Catholic background. We already had a set of slightly dubious saints in the SNP luminaries of the time, who don't look so luminous now, I'm afraid to say. And I think there's that element of the fan movement who part the side of their nose and say, the SNP knows what they're doing. They can't be public about their plans, otherwise they'd be eaten alive by... I've got to propose, um, yes, I mean, this the idea that there's a secret plan. Oh, and we shouldn't talk about it in public. I've seen, I, I was on forums yesterday, online forums yesterday, and people were still saying that. Well, don't mention this in public. Now, excuse me. These people are so naive, they don't seem to understand that the British state has moles inside the SNP. For goodness sake, they had moles inside the animal rights movement, and that was no threat to the state. Oh, absolutely, and the SNP itself is just about the leakiness of God there. They seem incapable of keeping a secret, as we can see from... Uh, most governments do have a problem keeping secrets these days. But the idea that you can't share the broad strategy of an independence movement with your key supporters and your voters, the people you're dependent on to return you to power, is simply nonsense. I went and had a quick look at um, Wings. Uh, Stuart Campbell, he's come up with another, that panel-based poll just over a week ago, everybody seems to have had a bite out of it. They seem to have had money from about three different directions. And he, his latest bit that he's published seems to show that it would have made no difference. The question was asked, would it make any difference to you the way you were voting on a yes-no basis for Scottish independence if Nicola Sturgeon wasn't the leader? And it made no difference at all to the result. Well, well that's right. I mean, I'm not an SNP member, and I'll never be an SNP member again. There's no practical way I, I could be after the, the positions that I've taken. But I'll probably vote SNP first of all, for the simple reason we have no other alternative. I mean, I have no doubt, despite all the criticisms I've made and others have made, which I regard as valid, of SNP, uh, that we must get an SNP-led independence government elected with an overall substantial majority. 
Otherwise, I, I think the games are bogey. Well, that's the problem. What, what worries me, Peter, and, and, and in your article, you, not, you, don't, you seem to be a little vague about the threats to the, the current devolution and therefore the possibility of us finally, after May, having a, an SNP government with any powers. The immediate threats are still very real, you say. The pernicious nibblings at Scotland's current limited devolved autonomy will be only the beginning of the process of rendering it impotent in all things that really matter if not stopped. I would suggest to you that it's already, it's already almost too late because the key danger to our entire independence movement in that internal market bill is the fact that it gives the power to any, cabin, any UK cabinet secretary to overrule any decision of the Scottish Parliament. moment if we I, I am so anti-nuclear you wouldn't believe it but 
Right now, that's not the issue. The issue is just to get independence, and then we can decide. Well, for me, recognizing other benefits of independence and the natural state being independent, blah, blah, all the rest of it, my overarching prime objective in getting independence was to unilaterally disarm Scotland and de facto disarm the UK. Multilateralism, they can talk that, we've been talking multilateralism since both America and the Russians and the British had the bomb. Look, I'm not going to dis- disagree with you on that. However, if we are going to get any referendum, you know, we haven't even got a, a promise about a, a referendum yet. We've just got a mumble, I would call it. But even if we get a referendum, to get it over the line, we're going to have to stop arguing about whether we have hate crime, whether we have all the different policies that people want to incorporate into this plan for independence. That comes after independence. We're never going to agree on what will be in this plan. We've just got to say, right, I like Peter Ray Bell's simple phrase, we've got to dissolve the union. Some time ago, at the Edinburgh West, had a, a yes group. And the purpose of the yes group was to bring together a representative of the International Socialist Party uh, as another independence party, the Greens and the SNP, to talk about where we were going. Mm-hmm. And I, I was pumping a theme at that time. Exactly what you're saying, it is not possible to write the policies, the major economic policies, the positioning on Europe, anything about the currency, before we're independent. We can only say, here is the potential and the range of options an independent Scotland would infinitely more effectively have. But anything other than that, you're talking about an individual party's perspective. Look, it, it, it appears that they, they did another focus group this week. Uh, Theresa May's, the guy that did the focus groups for Theresa May, did one for Channel 4 and they published it last night. And it, it just repeats what they've all, they keep finding. There is only one issue that the public, the, the, the soft knows are keep throwing up, and that's the economy, and in particular currency. And that was a dreadful mistake that um, Salmon made going into it. Sterlingization is an awful, awful idea. The idea is that, oh, people are too afraid to lose the pound. Well, I'm sorry, they've only got to be patrolled one simple thing. Anyway, it's the only policy that I think that the, the, the potential voters are interested in. Well, I, I don't think they are. Uh, I mean, they, I think an endless amount of fruitless hot air has been talked on a Scottish currency. And I mean, I wordily, as others did, took part in a series of seminars on how the currency could operate and how we would operate a central bank uh, and all of this. Actually, sterilization only looks a bad idea from this point in time. At the time, I mean, I, I, I spent two separate full hours with Alex Salmon at his request discussing the position on sterilization and the currency at the peak of the George Osborne, you, you know, you're, we're not going to wear it thing. He called me in because I'd come up in an early morning BBC broadcast in an argument with Martin Fraser, who was saying, you know, we're a plan B. And I said, we don't have a plan B, we've got a plan B, C, D, and E. That there are a range of options and fallback options. But as I said to Alex, what do you think of my approach in sterilization? 
I think economically, it's the right thing to do. One, to soothe down the panic of the, the soft nose who might come across but are afraid to lose the pound and the security of, of, of a, a central bank based in, in London. And the other side of it is the, the purely political, which is how does this seem that a Scottish currency goes in line with painting yourself blue and brandishing the flag and saying we're going to do it our way. The practicalities of setting up a, a currency, I mean, there's been God knows how many acres of newsprint and papers consumed and examined. It's not a simple business. Look, Peter, I'm sorry we could argue about this. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and my first job was in the bank, and my first qualification was as a banker. In fact, I'm more qualified to be a banker than that man that ran Royal Bank into, into the ground. But yeah. Uh, look, when they split up Czech, the Czech Republic and Slovakia, it only took them three months to come up with a currency. So if they can do it at the last minute, so can we. But anyway, I only brought that up really just to figure out, to say that, look, there is only one thing that these focus groups keep throwing up. It's simply the economy. It's the only issue that these soft voters are interested in. And uh, now, apart from that, I think we've, we've got to focus on simply saying, look, independence, look, most people voted on risk. You know all about risk, right? Most people vote, voted on risk. The risk of the unknown at the last referendum has now been replaced by the risk of staying with the, the known chaos of the UK. And therefore, yeah. that has changed completely. Yeah. yeah. I, unfortunately, the, we get sucked into this. Somehow, we have to justify the economic case for an independent Scotland. But, and the union loves it when they put us in that position because they're saying, justify the case for an independent Scotland against the current state of Scotland after 313 years of union and a, a, a tiny single number of, of years under a fully functioning Scottish government. But Peter, I don't agree with the premise you're placing this on. Your, your, your premise seems to be that the, the Scottish economy is, in a, is in, a, in a bad state. It's after London, it, it is the most uh, successful part of the UK. But that, that's the operative one, the part of the UK. Anything we say about the state of Scotland at the moment is the, the state that Scotland's economy in as being part of the UK. I mean, UK at the moment is quite shamelessly, and so they should, it's real politics, arguing that we have the, the massive broad shoulders and we're bailing out Scotland. They're bailing out Scotland with billions for the simple reason they have unlimited borrowing capacity and we have zero borrowing. I, I, I don't accept, Peter, I don't accept they're bailing out Scotland at all. You're assuming there's a deficit. Well, I look at the economy of Scotland. I, I'm not an economist. Well, Peter, do you, do you actually believe the JERS figures? I believe the JERS figures are some kind of reflection. Do you know that under the JERS figures, Scotland's got the largest deficit in Europe? Do you believe that to be true? No, no, I, I don't believe that to be true. So don't but believe the JERS figures. They're a complete fantasy. What I, I see all around me and my neighbours, my friends, my friends in England, are not people obsessed about the Scottish economy and people's eyes who glaze over 
when one economist challenges another. I mean, economy, economics is not called the dismal science for nothing. <laughs> you know, for, for every economist, it's like the law. When you go into a court, you will easily find a, a lawyer who will say, my client is totally right, none of this as alleged by the other side happened, and another lawyer who said they're both highly qualified. They will both call experts, and one expert will say, my client is barking mad, and the other expert psychiatrist will say he is sane. And the public stands in the middle of this saying, hold on, Jimmy, you know, what are we supposed to believe of these people? We need simple, simple, simple messages Oh, absolutely. Look, can I, look, one of the challenges of today, and if you, have you had time to read Andrew Wilson's response? I think it's, it's in the Spectator. It, it went up online yesterday and it'll be in the weekend printed version of the Spectator. He's doubled, doubling down on, on, on his position. I mean, he, he wants to hand five billion a year to the UK for some weird reason or other. And, and, what, what is a legal referendum, by the way? What, what, you know, with this, the permission of the, our, our jailer to give us a key. Well, this is a, I mean, this, I, I, one of the reasons I stopped regular blogging, I mean, people buy blogging activities, a month on the blog, and I was producing two blogs a day, thousand words each. I produce more in a week than most professional journalists produce in a year. So why did you uh, stop? I stopped because the audience started to drop, and my audience was in inverse proportion to the amount of detail and the length of the blog. And that's when I went along to a thing mounted by the Irish blogger, Mike Fealty, Slugger O'Toole. All right. Yeah, I know him, yeah. A thing called PyCam, and he demonstrated impeccably graphically and with immediacy, the power of Twitter. And the most damning and the most accurate thing he said about me and my career was by a consultant who was doing an evaluation of senior managers for the Scottish Newcastle board. And among the many things he said about me, one of them was a man who never uses a short word when a long one will do. Oh, no, I don't. I'm sure you're perfectly capable of using plenty of words, but I wouldn't say you waste any. I regularly get as many as 1,000 to 2,000 impressions, which is a measure of activity. The degree to which your tweet has been recognized and not necessarily agreed with, not necessarily actively retweet. Uh, and I regularly get a thousand impressions on single tweets. On one tweet on AUOB, I got 10,000 impressions. But the essence of Twitter is speed and rapid rebuttal, and speed and rapid rebuttal always carries a risk of error. Well, my friend working at Twitter says there's a bottle of whiskey in the post to you. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm a great admirer of Twitter. And uh, one of the reasons I'm not a great admirer of Neil Mackay, columnist of the year and regular regurgitator of claims that he's an independent supporter while he pens a column that seems to do everything that's perhaps to damage the Yes movement. He, he regularly throws wobblies about Twitter. I find Twitter a very, very manageable online. All right, well, look, can I ask him? I'm glad you mentioned Neil Mackay there because I'm... I've started to wonder if he is actually a paid troll by the 77th Brigade. 
Don't ask questions. Oh, I'm your last friend. You'll come after me. 